Good evening, everyone. Um, my name is uh, Himang Lahiru, and uh, welcome to this uh, session. Welcome to this uh, program on uh, global mobility for um, uh, for HNIs and for business owners. Uh, my name is Himang Lahiru. I am a lawyer and a partner at uh, Smart Move Immigration, and um, I'm going to provide you with a little bit of an overview today um, on this uh, session. So. Um, the way we're going to kind of proceed with things today is um, we're going to have a look at a difference between the concept of citizenship and PR. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that you know you are uh, you know you're all aware about it, but we'll just kind of touch base in terms of what it is. And uh, what we're going to do is use the time today and um, to kind of have a brief insight into what are the different routes for the most popular destinations. So. Um, we've got some of the uh, feedback from the people who have registered and also from the experience that we work with. Um, we've identified certain popular destinations uh, for citizenship and for permanent residence. And we're just going to shed some lights on there so that you know, it helps you to, um, to start the process, to crystallize your thoughts a little bit. Um, we've had a lot of questions uh, at the time of registration uh, from delegates. And uh, today, if you have any questions as we go along, use the uh, Q&A box to drop in your questions and uh, we will look at addressing them on air. And in the event, if we're not able to do so, then you know we'll definitely be connecting with you one-on-one -on -one and, uh, and addressing your queries. And um, just to kind of uh, you know, uh, let you know, this uh, presentation will be made available on our YouTube channel as well. So it'll be available for you to, to go back and visit it. And uh, you'll also get a copy of uh, you know, this presentation that we are running through right now. And uh, we've left some time in for Q&A towards the end so that we are able to address questions, share information and knowledge uh, on, um, on any of the areas that, that we're covering through. So um, it's great to see so many people on the call. We've had 140 registrations uh, for the event today and we've got 60 people who've logged in. So, it's uh, fantastic for a Friday evening uh, to see uh, that kind of participation. So thank you very much for, uh, for making the effort to do so. Uh, now, moving on, a little bit about ourselves. Um, so we are an uh, immigration law firm, and uh, we basically uh, cover in uh, a niche area within the, the legal space, which is immigration law uh, for different countries. We represent clients in different jurisdictions. Uh, we have uh, four offices in India, and uh, we've been in the business since 2009, and we've got thousands of success stories uh, that we've been fortunate to work with for clients in different domains. Uh, most important that we're proud of is uh, the feedback that we get from our clients, and it's there on our Facebook page, it's there on uh, Google reviews if you search for us. And in terms of our professional accreditations, uh, we're members of the Law Society of England and Wales. Um, we're also registered with the Immigration Law Practitioners Association, who's School Legal, and, and we've got uh, quite a few corporate-owned uh, business awards as well. Um, in terms of the media presence, uh, you know, we've uh, been featured on BBC World News on a couple of occasions, and uh, myself and my colleagues, we, we regularly provide media input to, to various um, various publications. So, so that's a little bit about us. And um, one of the key parts in terms of how the business has structured in, in 2020 is we've seen a greater shift 
towards technology. And, and in just one year alone, um, you know, we covered in almost 600 plus consultations over Skype, WhatsApp, Zoom. Um, we did about 48 webinars last year and we were able to touch five and a half thousand attendees, um, you know, in, in that space, even during the, uh, you know, during the lockdown. And um, we service our clients uh, online and not only in India, but from around the world. Uh, so we've had clients from about 20 countries uh, that we serviced last year. So that's an achievement that, uh, you know, we're incredibly uh, proud of. So what really makes our process effective is the four stages that we generally work through. So the first stage is our, our pre-screening stage where we look at identifying the right mix uh, for the clients based on their, uh, their lifestyle, based on their resources, based on uh, you know, what is their demographic. And we look at matching what's the right jurisdiction for them. Once we've done that, we'll then review the paperwork for the clients and, and go on to prepare and submit an application. And the last bit we feel is, is a lot more important uh, because we're able to provide in-country support to our clients. And this is um, not only in terms of ensuring that when they're there, um, our support doesn't end, but helping them to do market feasibility studies for new businesses. If they want to launch any kind of a business, what would be a preferred entry strategy for that? Um, also identifying investment potentials for them to, to kind of make private investments or business investments for acquisitions and so on and so forth, to, to even um, looking at providing advice on housing, schooling, and things like that, uh, you know, the nitty-gritty stuff, which, which really makes a difference uh, on the ground. So that was about us, and, and uh, you know, we'll kick on with, uh, with, the, with the rest of the presentation. So just a quick um, kind of an insight into two terms, which sometimes get used interchangeably. So as a concept, you know, we have a concept of citizenship and that of permanent residence. Now, when you are a citizen of another country, uh, you lose the, uh, you know, your, 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 your primary citizenship in certain areas. So for example, we've taken an example of India. Uh, we know that we've got uh, people from Far East uh, logging in today, as well as from West Africa. So if your countries allow for dual citizenship, so you can hold two passports, then you're fine. So then when you get a citizenship of another country, you're allowed to keep your, your original passport as well. Um, however, in, in India's case, Indian nationals cannot hold dual citizenships. Uh, so they have to give up their Indian passports and then they get the citizenship of another country. A permanent residence on the other hand is slightly different. It means that you still retain your Indian citizenship or you retain your, your original citizenship and you get a permanent residence right. So this is a step down from a full citizenship of, a, of another country. Um, again, from an Indian perspective, applicants can apply for and they receive an um, overseas citizen of India card or an OCI card. Whereas if you are a permanent resident, then you don't have to get an OCI card because you still have an Indian passport and you have a permanent residence in another jurisdiction. Now, the benefit of being a citizen is that you will be eligible for, for certain key benefits, primarily um, visa-free travel, which is uh, awarded to a citizen. So for instance, if you're a citizen of UK or Portugal, you could travel to 180 countries without a visa 
Uh, so that's one of the biggest perks of, of being a citizen of a, of a country. Um, in addition to that, you could get consular access. Um, if you're in a stuck for whatever reason, um, you'll be able to claim certain benefits and privileges. Um, whereas if you're a permanent resident, uh, you're still an Indian national, you're still covered by the rules which govern and the facilities which are offered to Indian nationals. Um, but you have permanent residence in another jurisdiction, which means that you still have the ability to travel without any hindrance. You still have the ability to stay there for longer periods without any issues. You could take in employment, you could start a business, uh, depending on the permissions granted to you by your permanent residence. Now, in certain countries, um, students, for example, in terms of obtaining education, will get charged at local rates once an applicant has a permanent residence. So if you're a citizen or if you have a permanent residence, then you could be classed as, as a local student, which could then mean savings in terms of uh, the tuition fees. It could mean discounts in terms of accommodations or, or things like that. So those kind of benefits uh, is what you can obtain, uh, whether you're a permanent resident or if you're a citizen. And essentially, that's what sets one apart to the other. So primarily, if you want to keep your Indian passport and you want to have the right to, to go to another country and still have the ability to travel and all the rest of it, then permanent residence is something which is suited for you. Um, if you're looking at making a clean start and then a new break altogether, then uh, a citizenship is the right option for you. And always remember that, you know, if you are an Indian national, you will always have an overseas citizen of India card, which will almost give you the same kind of rights as an, as an Indian citizen for the most part. So, so that's essentially what uh, the migration concept is. Now, one of the questions popularly that we get asked every time is, uh, you know, how has, has COVID impacted uh, migration? You know, is it still even feasible um, to, to travel to, to another country and uh, to take up residence or citizenship? Um, well, quite simply, you know, whilst we're going through a pandemic, which is, you know, a global phenomena, uh, but we have seen in the past with um, incidents of SARS um, coming out of China in 2003, uh, the H1N1 coming out of Mexico in 2009, uh, the Ebola virus in West Africa in 2014, um, the Zika outbreak in Latin America and the USA in 2015. Uh, so all of these have affected regions. They have affected the way we travel to those regions or people within that regions. And even though this is the first time that you know we're seeing a wider impact of, uh, of COVID-19, but the key part is to remember that you know, as a people, um, you know, we've always adapted. So, for example, if you're traveling to Africa or if you're going to Central or South America, even though, uh, you know, there are, uh, there are problems with, uh, you know, with, with epidemics and, and pandemics out there, um, you still get a vaccine and you get a vaccine, you get yourself inoculated and you travel. Um, UK, for instance, uh, requires nationals from a lot of countries where TB is still prevalent to get TB tests. Uh, before they can travel to the UK. And this particularly applies for people who are going to stay there for longer periods. So, you know, if you have a residence visa, uh, then you need to get a TB test before you fly. 
Um, CIC in Canada requires health screening for PR, and this is the same for Australia as well. So, so what we have done as a people is we have adapted, we have moved on. Sometimes it takes us longer, but as we are seeing right now with the whole uh, vaccination program, particularly in the Western countries, uh, there's a greater momentum. So for instance, UK is in the stage uh, four of its unlock, just one stage away from a complete uh, unlock and they've opened up borders to travel to countries on the green list. So slowly and steadily, um, you know, they're, making, they're making progress in that sense. So in light of all of this, uh, there still remains hope for individuals to have uh, you know, an option for travel and all the rest of it. And even with a lockdown, people who had residency rights, people who were citizens, still had the, the permissions to, to get special arrangements to go back to their home countries, um, except if you were an Australian citizen, because Australia is not allowing its citizens back. But for all the other countries, uh, you still had that option and you could, uh, you could work that through. So what do we have to look forward to? Well, quite simply, um, if you consider UK, UK doesn't offer you a citizenship by investment program or a direct permanent residence on the basis of investment. But what it does offer you is it offers a pathway to settlement. Um, so for example, the focus is on business houses, entrepreneurs, companies, and even um, innovators. Um, you could look at taking the tier one investor route where you make an investment of 2 million pounds and uh, you know, that could allow you entry clearance to come into the UK, stay there, and then at the end of five years, you can apply for settlement. If you were making significant investments, so if your investment was about 5 million or 10 million, you could even get an accelerated settlement. So you could actually settle in two years time instead of the normal five years. So there isn't a direct pathway, but obviously the, the investor visa is a, is a good route um, for individuals. Another good thing about the tier one investor visa is that it does not have an English language requirement. So what we do see is we have several high net worth clients in uh, places like Amritsar, in Gujarat, in Hyderabad, and they're typically landowners or they have a lot of assets or they've inherited monies and they, they're not able to take the English language test in which case the investor visa is a great option for them um, because they're able to utilize that investment and they can take it across with them um, to the UK. So, so it's, it's, it's a good route in that sense. Um, one of the popular routes that we see from UK's perspective is the sole representative visa. Now, the key draw with this is it does not require a minimum investment commitment uh, there is no job creation criteria, and it is generally suited for businesses um, to test the waters in the UK before they can make a, a full expansion. So that's, that's a great route um, for, for people. Uh, the tier two route is for companies to send through skilled workers or on, on a temporary or on a permanent basis. And from 1st of January, 2021, um, the rules have eased up considerably so that people are able to send uh, you know, employees over on settlement visa category. So that's a great option again. Now, like this old representative, the tier two also is a five-year pathway to settlement. And um, 
obviously you have the, um, the innovator visa and the startup visa. So if you have a great idea, if you have an innovative idea, if you think that this is, uh, you know, this is different to what the UK market has seen, or you're doing it better than what the UK market is seeing, uh, you could pitch that across as an, as an innovative idea. And it only requires an investment of about 50,000 pounds. So, so it's a great route if you have that idea. And even if you did not have the funds, you could offer the startup visa. Um, and this is designed for people with, uh, with kind of, you know, limited or no business experience, and they could be applying under the startup visa. So UK offers these pathways um, for its, um, you know, for people who want to, want to settle in, bring value into the business. Um, the US is the most popular destination uh, from, uh, from an Asian perspective and particularly from an Indian perspective. India is one of the largest source countries of migrants and US is one of the biggest destinations for Indian migrants. And this includes uh, businesses, investors, students, and even uh, individuals who are joining their families uh, in the US. Now, the focus again from a US perspective is on high net worth individuals, is on entrepreneurs, and again, they welcome companies as well. And some of the popular routes uh, for the US, uh, you have the L1 visa. Um, so the L1 visa is, is where a company is looking at expanding its business to the US. Again, it wants to nominate a senior employee of the business to enter the US to set up that uh, particular venture. Then, then that's a good route which can come through. Um, the US has an E2 treaty, E2 visa route. Now this is a unique one and not as popular in India at the moment because um, India is not a direct signatory to the E2 treaties. Uh, but there are countries like Grenada, Turkey, which are signatories to the E2 visa. And some people use that as a pathway. So they would look at getting a Turkish citizenship once you get a Turkish citizenship, you can then apply for an E2 visa to the US. And the best part is it will cost you half of the investment amount as what an EB-5 would cost. So the investment threshold with the EB-5 is uh, the minimum of $900,000. And uh, if it's not in a targeted economic area, then it is 1.8 million. But if you were to take the E2 visa route, then your investment threshold is almost half. So, so people do prefer that at times as well because it's quicker than the EB-5. It requires lesser investment and it almost takes the same time uh, in terms of entry to the US. So, so you know, that could be a viable option um, for individuals as well. And another popular destination from an Indian perspective is obviously Canada. And um, we see a lot of traffic to Canada, particularly from students, uh, professionals who want to um, go to Canada on the express entry program. But for people who are slightly older in terms of age, so they don't score enough points on the express entry, or if they haven't scored that high on their IELTS or they don't want to take an IELTS and score at a very advanced level, then the PNP pathway, the provincial nominee pathway for the investors and entrepreneurs is, is a good idea. And essentially, if, if I was to simplify the PNP options for Canada, um, the, the, the criteria is just threefold. Um, you could either select a tier one province like Ontario, 
where you are committing to make an investment of about eight to 10 crores, uh, or you pick a, a tier two province like British Columbia, uh, where you are committing to make an investment of about four to six crores, or you could have provinces like Yukon and Manitoba, where you commit an investment of about uh, one to two CR. Now, these are thresholds for a successful application. The minimum investment criteria is way lower. So a lot of times people look at marketing materials and they would say, oh, but Canada only requires you to have $200,000. That's true, but that just gets you in a, a league table. But if you wanted your application to be successful, if you wanted it to go to the next level, then it's realistic to expect that you know, you're putting in these kind of investments if your choice is for, for these provinces. So, so that's essentially something that, uh, that you know, you're looking at. Um, or you could have a, a startup visa route uh, for Canada, um, again, which requires uh, you know, some investment um, for, or from a startup perspective uh, to enter into the country. So these are kind of the popular routes uh, that we see. Uh, with Australia, we see a fair bit of interest from people at times, but there are two factors which kind of draw people away from it. And, and that's mainly the size of the investment and the processing time as well. So um, typically a processing time for investor category at the moment is between 18 to 24 months, um, which, which in a sense is, is a lot longer. And if you have a longer horizon to say that if you want to make a decision later, then, then perhaps um, that is something that you, you could look at. Now, where we see a lot more, um, lot more interest is in the various, um, you know, visas, which are generally known as the golden visas. And, uh, and what you see on your screen are, are classic examples of the various golden visa programs uh, within Europe. And, and the most popular ones are uh, the ones in Portugal, uh, Malta, and Greece. And, and as you can see that there are other ones from countries like Spain, uh, Cyprus, and even Ireland, uh, but they're not as as, as uh, much in demand. And we'll look at them you know, in a minute as to why that happened. So um, Portugal is one of the, uh, the biggest draws, so to speak, on the Golden Visa program. And, and the reason for that is, you know, you could make an investment from 280,000 euros um, in, in certain class of investment. And, um, you know, that amount can go up to 500,000 euros as well. Uh, but the bare minimum that you need is 280,000 euros. You could make an application for yourself, uh, for your parents, for your in-laws. Uh, so typically you could actually have three generations of people migrating on a single investment, which is fantastic because um, when you look at the threshold, 280,000 euros to make an investment, um, you know, it's, it's really not, not that much in the scheme of things. And what it allows you to do is it allows you to, to work, it allows you to start a business, it allows you to study um, in Portugal without any restrictions. And, and again, because uh, this is part of the Schengen area, uh, you're allowed free mobility across the Schengen states for, for about three months or 90 days at a time without any restrictions. Um, one of the other stronger draws for Portugal is the fact that um, you could be eligible for citizenship after five years without having to stay for longer duration. So typically, Portugal requires you to stay for, for a minimum of one to two weeks every year 
uh, for that five-year duration, and you could still be eligible for a citizenship, um, which is very different to the other countries. So uh, Malta and Greece would probably take you longer, but they will also have a residency requirement in there. As some of the key areas in, in Portugal in terms of business, um, you have uh, tourism, you have textiles, you have food processing. So um, tourism is the biggest draw. It gets a lot of uh, European traffic coming into places like Porto and Lisbon, uh, Albuferia, uh, which are great uh, tourist destinations. So if you made an investment into a tourist uh, property, uh, you could be uh, guaranteed you know, incomes uh, you know, for at least four to five months in a year, which is great. And you could rent out the property for the other six months uh, that, uh, you know, if you, if you chose to do so. Uh, or you could set up your own vacation home uh, if you wanted to. In fact, um, in 2020, we saw a large uh, draw towards Portugal uh, because Portugal offered investments in bonds which was fantastic because it takes away all the hassle of having to go to a place, look at the, uh, look at the, the houses, look at the investments. You could just sit in uh, you know, at home, buy the bonds online and, and get your rights established without having the hassle of looking at and dealing with uh, you know, the, the different laws and everything pertaining to real estate, looking at the potential of uh, you know, what things are gonna be like and all the rest of it. So last year, uh, we were actually surprised because, you know, we were able to do a lot of uh, Portugal golden visas, primarily focused on bonds, uh, because, you know, due to the lockdown, people were not able to travel, they were not able to uh, kind of, you know, defer, and yet they wanted that security that when things do open up, we should be able to get there. So the processing time for uh, a Portuguese golden visa is about three to five months. So again, that's, uh, you know, that's a great opportunity. Um, Another good opportunity in uh, terms of permanent residence in the EU is from Malta. And um, Malta has a claim that it is, uh, you know, it is probably the only other English speaking country other than the UK within the Europe. So, so you know, it's, uh, it's, it's really convenient for people to be based out there. Um, Malta is also home to uh, a lot of financial services businesses, uh, gaming companies, banking and uh, you know fintech companies so it, it's a nice hub where you know you could have tourism as a business opportunity financial services uh, information technology companies or even uh, pharma companies uh, could be based out there in malta so in that sense it is a great place to be um, the only difference in terms of uh, between Malta and say Portugal would be the fact that if you were looking at getting citizenship in Malta through the PR route, you probably will have to stay for at least uh, seven to eight years. And you'd have to spend at least six to nine months in country uh, in order for you to be eligible. So generally it's nine months and you're staying for longer duration um, as well. But if the idea is not to work towards a citizenship, but you're happy with having a permanent residence, a golden visa, uh, then, then Malta can be a great destination because the investment threshold is lower. Uh, there's a lot of sunshine, just like Portugal. You get industries like tourism out there. And uh, the bonus is that it's an English speaking country. So, so in, that, in that sense, um, it's, it's a fantastic uh, opportunity. And uh, again, in terms of processing, it'll be about three to five months uh, by the time you're able to, uh, to get a Maltese PR. 
and, um, and, and again, it allows you to, to get family members to join you as well. Uh, third popular country on the golden visa side is, uh, is Greece. And uh, as a tourist destination, it needs no introduction. Um, we've seen a fair bit of Bollywood movies which get uh, shot in Greece and, and the reputation for Greece as a, as a tourist uh, destination is, is obviously much, much well known. Um, you could get a residence permit or a golden visa in Greece uh, with an investment of about 250,000 euros. And, and this is fantastic. The, the only change um, with, uh, with Portugal in here is that Greece focuses more on self-employment. So even though you have a permanent residence, uh, you would still not be permitted to take up jobs uh, for the locals, uh, but you could start business, you could be self-employed, you could be running your own uh, business in whatever area, and that's uh, perfectly uh, acceptable. So, so again, Greece is a popular destination. Uh, for those of you who want to be closer to, to the UK, uh, Republic of Ireland uh, offers an investment uh, fund, and the investment criteria is about a million uh, euros. The, the benefit of choosing Ireland as a destination uh, will be the fact that after five years, when you do get an Irish passport, you're covered by a common travel area between the UK and Ireland. And Ireland is also part of the EU, so you're also covered on that. So you get the best of both worlds um, by being based in Ireland. And um, Ireland has fantastic universities, so it's great for higher education for children. Uh, it is also home to headquarters of a lot of IT and pharma companies. So uh, working uh, in that market also becomes a lot more easier um, on, on that side. So, so we're seeing a lot more questions coming in for, for Portugal and for Malta, and we'll be taking them up as we kind of uh, you know, go along. Um, if you have more questions, feel free to keep populating the Q&A box and, and you know, we'll, we'll take that up from there. Right, the second part that we're looking at is the citizenship options. So when we talk about citizenship by investment, um, there are great uh, opportunities which are available. And one of the key concepts um, that you have to understand with, uh, with the citizenship is the difference between uh, a donation and uh, an investment. So certain countries, will give you citizenship uh, if you're donating the money. So there's no hope for it coming back. So in essence, you're buying a citizenship, whereas most of the other countries are, are content to allow you to make an investment with a lock-in period of uh, say four years or five years, and you can get your money back. The same as a concept with a permanent residence as well. So the investment that you looked at, whether it's for Portugal, whether it's for Greece, whether it is for Malta, the lock-in period on that is for four or five years, depending on the country. And um, you know, in terms of the investment, you could have a choice to make an investment in real estate, to make an investment in bonds, to make an investment in equity funds. Uh, so depending on what is the permitted asset class, uh, you could look at uh, you know, making uh, the specific investment. So um, when we look at citizenship by investment, a minimum threshold for the European countries is at least a million euros. Um, and if you're willing to make that kind of an investment or if you're willing to make that kind of a donation, uh, like in the case of Malta, uh, you could get a citizenship, a European passport in six months flat. Um, and, and 
you know, virtually you're buying your way to, to European citizenship. As an EU national, uh, you would have the seventh strongest passport in the world. You would have ability to live and work anywhere in the Schengen area. So whether you choose Germany or France or Spain or Netherlands, uh, you would have complete freedom without any, any restrictions. Um, if you're prepared to wait a little, then Bulgaria is a good opportunity because by investing a million euros in Bulgaria over a period of two years, so you're investing half a million euros or 500,000 euros in the first year and another 500,000 euros in the second year. And by making that investment, you get a Bulgarian passport in two years time. Now, again, the key part for both of these um, countries is that you know there's no language requirement there is uh, no residency requirement um, so you know you could get your passport um, virtually delivered to your doorstep uh, and you wouldn't have to spend a lot of time in those countries so so that's the, the kind of a key part and we're seeing a very uh, increasing interest from indian nationals towards citizenship by investment options earlier our clientele used to be mainly from the uae uh, from Saudi Arabia, from Qatar, uh, from those kind of places, uh, or Hong Kong and Singapore. Uh, but uh, towards from uh, August 2020, we've seen an increased interest from high net worth individuals from India who are looking at making purchases for citizenships as a plan B for themselves or for their family. And um, in certain instances, uh, a country like Turkey um, has uh, an investment of only $250,000 uh, into real estate, and it could give you a citizenship or a Turkish passport in, in as little as uh, three to four months. And uh, that will give you visa-free travel to almost 110 countries. And Turkey has a very special relationship with the EU. Uh, a lot of Turkish businesses provide and supply goods to the Schengen countries. Turkey also is an E2 signatory with the US. So if your destination was you wanted to consider the US as well, Turkey sits right in the middle, gives you access to Europe, gives you access to the US as well. So, so those are the kind of um, options which are, which are now available to uh, individuals should they wish to be looking at um, you know, making a decision to either um, get a citizenship, which can be on a long-term basis, or, or get a permanent residence, uh, which is kind of more immediate, more short-term solution, something you want to invest it and keep it and maybe decide later whether you want to convert it to a full citizenship or not. And, and by default, it will extend to your family, it will extend to your children. Um, the citizenship laws are slightly different. Uh, you may not be able to pass your citizenship upwards to your parents and to your, uh, to your other dependents, but you can definitely look at uh, passing your citizenship to your spouse and your children. Uh, so your immediate family um, gets covered by that. Uh, we also see a lot of interest from uh, individuals on the Caribbean uh, citizenship programs uh, where the investment thresholds are considerably lower. Um, the amounts that you see on your screen are just typically donations uh, that you're making to the governments, uh, to a development fund, and, uh, and in return, you'll be able to get um, get a citizenship for those jurisdictions. So again, these are lifestyle choices. Uh, individuals are able to, to make, these, um, make these investments and, and all the rest of it. And uh, uh, you know, from the Caribbean perspective, very few times you would see people are looking at moving there and staying there for longer periods.
but they're just using the passports in order to get the global mobility, uh, which is offered uh, by them. And um, so essentially that's, that's where, where we're coming in from. Um, as, as a business, we also have additional opportunities. So, uh, you know, if you are somebody who is looking at making investments in real estate in any of these countries, uh, you know, including uh, even inward investment into India, we have a lot of projects, uh, portfolio properties for different investments, different ticket sizes. Um, we have franchise opportunities. So if you wanted to buy a franchise for, for a particular product or commodity in the UK, US, or Canada, uh, you know, we are able to do that. Or if you wanted to offer your product on a franchise basis, or if you wanted to franchise your operations, uh, we can you know, help with that as well. Um, we also promote a lot of joint ventures. Uh, identifying opportunities, uh, helping businesses to grow, and um, if you're a, if you are uh, you know a professional who's connected with a lot of high net worth individuals, uh, you could refer them to us uh, for any of these areas, and we have a very strong uh, referral program as well, and I will be happy to share the details uh, should you require them. Now, typically the the benefit that we offer to our clients is the diversity. Uh, you know, we've been in the business for more than 10 years. Uh, we work with clients with different um, uh, industries at different scales. We have startups in our portfolio. We have clients who have a turnover of more than 1,000 or 5,000 crores as well. So, so we have the depth to deal with clients at different levels. So it's not focused on one kind of a client. Uh, we are equally adept at uh, dealing with the, you know, different scales of the clients. Um, we have a very objective approach as a business. So our, our idea is to make things happen for our clients and to facilitate that process, which is what kind of you know, gives us that, that advantage uh, when we're working with uh, a diverse set of clients. Um, at the moment, though, we're all kind of working from home across uh, the company, but uh, you know, in, um, in, in other times, uh, you know, we have our offices in uh, Bombay, Delhi, Bangalore, and uh, you know, once things do regularize, we'd love to meet up with you at these locations. Um, we'll also be opening up our offices in uh, London as well as in Dubai uh, in the second half of this year. So those will be the two additional destinations uh, that will get added in. Um, you also have our email address and the phone numbers on your screens. Uh, if you wish to get in touch with us, uh, you know, we'd be happy to take your calls or answer any emails you may have uh, for any queries that you're dealing with. Um, 